Welcome to another edition of Hit the Lights podcast. I've got a very special guest with me today. I've got Marcin Ruta. How are we doing? Yeah, good morning, everyone. Yeah, all good <laughs> so far. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> you keeping uh, busy at the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's end of the year, so it's a lot of uh, projects to finish. Yeah, are you finding you you've got more than potentially? Because I always find the uh, the rush around April, you know, the uh, the tax years and budgets and things is is always crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 always delayed. Those are longer projects than uh, it's not like one month or two. It takes sometimes a year or two to finish. It depends yeah. on the size of the of the project, of course. So, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you um, got into the world of electrics? Yeah, of course. So, uh, my name is Martin Ruta. I'm I'm living in Poland. Uh, I used to live in Netherlands for seven years, but we'll come back to it. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, I'm what something like 15 years, 14 years in engineering now, in total. Uh, I started from after university uh, in my home city, which is Bielsko-Biała, south side of Poland. Uh, we used to have, we still have, the factory which uh, used to be the old Polish brand. Now then it was uh, GE General Electric, and now it's ABV. Uh, so I started there. When they what they do, they build the low voltage switch gears assemblies there. So that was my uh, beginning straight after the the university. Mm-hmm. And then, but then generally I moved to the Netherlands, and I joined for for a time being uh, STX Wind Power, which was this uh, small part of the very big company. I don't know if you recall, but STX is the company that builds ships very big Korean company and they decided to invest in wind power in Netherlands at that time. Hmm. Um, well, I've been there for one year because it didn't work out. But it was very nice insight into the uh, wind business many years ago. And then I switched to Eton and it was the last company before my own company. And I spent there, I think, seven years, something like this uh, in total, which was the longest time for me. <laughs> Yeah, and it was very interesting because I was doing a power system engineering there. I started actually in, uh, a bit in uh, in General Electric, of electrical engineering and so on. But we mainly were building switch gears, low voltage assemblies, and I was responsible. I didn't say that, but I was responsible to design and all the mechanical, like make the project move <laughs> from start yeah. uh, from A to Z. And and it was very similar type of work in Eton when I was uh, doing power system engineering from A to Z. A lot of things, but then big point was Arclash because it's a company from US and a lot of uh, customers from US and Canada. And I kind of uh, catch there uh, with all the electrical safety and all the Arclash requirements and so on. So it was, I would say, that was the very interesting point at my life. And seven years later, I started my own company, <laughs> and I do very similar things, a little bit different way. So in terms of um, starting your your journey with uh, GE then and switchboard manufacturer, was that a, was that a good foundation and way to enter the industry? Well, I would say yes, especially that was the closest company I could have for from my home, and uh, I would say very interesting because it's I think it's one of the top what five six companies in the world. Uh, very interesting uh, you, you just go straight into the corporate engineering world very fast so that's interesting uh, very uh, fast learning at that time it was very fast learning for me so you have to catch up a bit 
uh, when you you know finish university or your degree and then you have to start to work so it was very interesting oh, for example i think the last project we did um, which i remember was uh, for vattenfall power plant in germany in boxberg which was very interesting one because we had like i had like 300 panels to build right, okay that's <laughs> quite a lot time. <laughs> So of course I do all the engineering and, and everything else. So, but it was very interesting because before I had like uh, six months before uh, I joined like engineering department. Uh, before I finished the school, I also work a bit. Uh, you know, always to have some money for parties. So we we work a bit, and I was doing uh, kind of I was rented out to uh, General Electric as electrician. So actually I work and I build the panels before we mm. I joined the engineering department. That was quite interesting to see because you have all this practical from the floor, manufacturing floor, and then you go straight to the engineering. Mm. I didn't did, plan it, to be honest. Yeah, did, I suppose, like you say, did that give you um, an additional insight of the tweaks and the nuances to installing that you're not getting in the factory? Yeah, yeah. I mean, were there any um, particular tips or tricks you took back to the factory with you to make any modifications? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was all big modifications. Right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it's uh, well, like in everything in engineering, you start from uh, something that you have your scratch or you have an idea or you have the rules because that time we had a different rules. Uh, now we have 61439, which is uh, type tested. Uh, and before, uh, I, I don't know when it changed, but I think it was like 2015, 16. Then it was uh, type tested, but you could do much more with your modification, which is not uh, exactly the same now. Uh, so we had a lot of strange requests uh, for very specific connections, whatever you would like to build, like uh, make it 12, uh, 10 centimeters smaller. Right. Like this okay. is a very small request for the switch gear, which is like 50 meters long. And you have to cut everything and, and keep it uh, so people can manufacture it also. At mm. the end, so very interesting uh, start, I would say. Uh, I never been in this point where someone tells you that the corporate uh, companies are bad to work it. I think it's very nice if you if you go straight after university to such big company. Uh, it's very interesting. You can learn mm. a lot very fast. Uh, of course, if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, well, yeah. It's aptitude and ap application of it, isn't it? For um, me, it was very interesting to see it. Yeah. Did you um, did they foster a, a good educational training and, and things like that for you during your time there? Oh, that time, no. <laughs> I would say it was all uh, older colleagues in the department that they took care about me and my, and my other colleagues that were joining the time. So they just introduced you to all the way how it works. Mm -hmm. But I would say that all the uh, dragging to the standards, everything else, uh, it, it's more like your consistent work. So you, if you want, you have to go and read it, go and read it, go and read it. If you have a question and go through it, we, we try to manage something like, um, let's say, each Friday, some technical discussion, small internal seminars for us, which was quite interesting. That mm -hmm. time. But it was kind of like our in initiative that we, we actually proposed to do it as a younger engineers. It was quite nice to see it. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it was interesting, but uh, for me it was. Um, if, if I look from the from now into the past, I would say I, I was bored at some point, uh, and that's why I started to move uh, to, for something different. 
mm. for something more interesting. I would say it's boring work, but for me it was at that time. No, uh, sure. The first, I think it was the, the like first job that you have and you, you don't know if this is good or bad. So you mm. start to look for something different. Yeah, I can understand, um, you know, if you're, it, it's probably trivializing it a little bit, but if you're kind of doing switchboard after switchboard, uh, particularly if you've got, you, you know, you're working your way through 300, I'm assuming they're reasonably similar. When, you know, there's only so many variations you can can kind of have. Um, yeah, I, I d- it is definitely interesting because a lot of my colleagues are still there. Uh, and I think they are doing very well. They also went very technical and they also went different paths, like to the railway uh, industry and so on. So very specific um, sectors. I would say it's just getting narrow and narrow at some point. Mm. Uh, but but it's very I would say I know I know that I always like as you say I'm trivializing this a bit so uh, but for me I think it was good move maybe not the best that time but generally it was uh, quite okay to look for something what I what I was looking for which yeah. I think I found now yeah no definitely I mean you meant you mentioned you you went into um, developing wind turbines and and things like that how, how was the um, renewables industry at that stage you obviously uh, it would have been very much in its infancy yeah it was uh, if i remember it was like 2009 10 or something like this it was interesting definitely interesting. that's why I, I went into it at that time mm. so physically when i was joining uh, this company this stx wind power a lot of colleagues again they are still doing the wind business uh, i had less i should have less r d in developing wind turbine, which was already standing there as a prototype. So I, I can actually climb and see things a lot of and play with it straight uh, from the first day, not only on the paper. Uh, but my my issue was that I was joined company as a project uh, engineer. So I supposed to do the projects. And uh, obviously I did something different <laughs> because the, the prototype didn't went well that, at that point. No, which can happen, of course. You know, it's mm. it's not a surprise. Uh, it's just R and D. But at some, for me, it was like okay, I was expecting I would be doing the projects, projects, projects with the wind parks and wind turbines, which was more in line what I was going to do, what I wanted to do. But at some point, uh, after a few months, I thought okay, I I was doing a lot of strange things like certification, uh, cold climate uh, design, and a lot of uh, things like this. And I said, okay, it's, I, I saw that just company is not going, uh, uh, not growing. And at the, at the end, they, they closed, they bankrupt. Right. So I just went a bit earlier. I left the ship. Yeah. <laughs> it, which was unfortunately for me because I, 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 like, I like this thing and I look for something similar um, that at that mo- moment of my life. But uh, I have, I think there was not that much companies in Netherlands actually doing this, which is surprisingly strange if you think about Netherlands. That you, and you think when you say Netherlands, you think wind turbines. Yeah, but you do. I had something. I think like wind, windmills, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it's it's not exactly like this. Well, they have obviously a lot of companies, but it's not that much. And so, uh, but luckily for me, I just uh, after this, I just uh, I was looking for something different again, and uh, I I found Eaton. Which is Eton is an American company and they had a factory in the uh, uh, east side of uh, Netherlands, which is all the other side of the country, yeah. which is only two hours. <laughs> and uh, 
it was interesting because I went to then to talk with people and was a little bit different uh, hiring and so on because I, I talked with engineering manager that supposed to be my direct manager at the time. Um, and it was very interesting for me because uh, uh, he talks straightforward and he explained what we'll be doing, what they are doing and uh, what he's going to do. And I liked it. It was a very small team because I think it was like two, three, four people that time. Mm. Well, it was very interesting and I, I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to join it. <laughs> uh, and I did. And I went there for seven years, I think. Uh, partly in uh, in Netherlands and partly when I moved back to Poland. But uh, it was definitely very interesting uh, company to join. Mm-hmm. If someone would be looking for, then I would say, yeah, it's it's very interesting one. Especially that they had also manufacturing uh, uh, site. Mm. Uh, in Netherlands and also in Turkey and some other locations that you can visit as well. Uh, I wasn't really into manufacturing because I was like the small power system engineering department, which is purely focused on consulting and and doing all the electrical studies, uh, like all the big companies like ABB, Schneider and so on. Um, but it was a little bit, I think, for me different because that that time I had a, uh, as a head manager, I had like a, a guy, the person was from US originally from the headquarter and they had a little bit different view on how to do engineering at least from my experience which i liked yeah how, how so sorry can you repeat yeah sorry you said they they were different in in their engineering approach uh, i'm just uh, how, how well, so? what difference was uh, what i've seen um, that they had an approach that this is like one man job so uh, if you do your project it's like uh, and then you are doing this. So you have to handle all the uh, system studies. Of course, you can do it in the smaller team as well. But eventually, you are the like the person that has to understand everything. Right. Okay. So and there's no more responsibility. Low voltage, medium voltage. Someone does this. Like now, they they really thought, okay, if you have to do it, you have to understand what's happening here. If we talk about the motors, generators, and so on, then you have to really have in in mind that that's more or less how it works. Maybe you don't do everything with it. But you have to understand uh, from protection point of view, from analysis point of view, and and this is very long journey, mm. to, to, you know, to master. So I understand you stepped into consultancy now. Yeah. So what step? Well, I've been in consultancy for the last ten years. I just have my own company now. It is called ML Power Tech and ML Power Systems. It's actually two. To be honest, the idea like purely this is power system engineering, so electrical consultancy, as I said. Uh, so that's the core what I'm doing. All the power system studies, protection studies, short circuit calculation, I don't know, load for power flow, th- those kind of things. Mm. Partly because I would say this is like 80% uh, an arclash, of course, which is in the same group, but it's a little bit different because it's from electrical safety point of view. That's how I call it. So it's like combination of few things uh, from protection, so circuit, and and uh, I don't know, was one more equipment evaluation. So you join few things uh, to make an arcflash actually, not only one arcflash calculation. But that's that's why it was what was interesting for me. That's mm-hmm. why I started my own company because I want to, to do things a little bit, uh, well, with a little, little bit different flavor, I would say, because <laughs> you cannot go too far away from standards uh, and, and regulations, but you might do it a little bit different uh, uh, with different uh, 
point of view or, or, or at least explain it to customers a little bit different way. Yeah, so, easier way. <laughs> do, do you find uh, the work is across Europe then now with, with what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, actually, mainly it's, it's Europe plus UK, of course. Um, but I do have sometimes with, uh, like exotic locations like US, Australia or uh, Middle East. Um, technically, if you, this is kind of COVID thing, I think, as at this moment when you don't have to travel that much or it's not needed, then you can do uh, some exotic locations as well. Um, but there's a little bit different, I would say, harder from a data point of view, because at some point you have to collect the data or someone has to do it for you and this is very important uh, step so if someone gives you you know crap yeah <laughs> as I say crap in crap out yeah it's uh it's the same so for me it's a, a, this step is very important to get uh, all the proper data all the proper informations from site well of course depends what i'm doing what, what i'm doing if this is a brownfield or greenfield project sure so what, what sort of what sort of data would you be looking at then in in those instances? Well, it depends again what we have to do. So if you do on the electrical consulting business, uh, let's say um, typically, uh, for example, if you have protection or new connection, I would say uh, we can say it like this: that if you have a new site and it's just building, then you can do a lot of things. If you do detailed engineering, which to be honest, I do. Uh, uh, less often it's not at least my idea was not to do detailed engineering and do high level uh, power system protection or generally power system analysis but generally if you do uh, electrical consulting um, projects it, it might be something like you got the data center design which is not built of course yet so you have only design values mm. usually there is someone is working on all the um, let's say detailed engineering so they already know from uh, MEP that yeah, we will have that much cables, that type of cables, that kind of loads. So there is like basic engineering. Sometimes it's done, not always, but let's say it's, it's done. Um, what I do, I do, for example, uh, extra layer for it to make precise. Okay, that kind of protection has to be done. Um, some small, uh, maybe you need the rating for the power cables, like the main one, not the, you know all the circuit, but let's say we have a connection between transformers, medium voltage, high voltage, so we can calculate of course uh, rating of the cables uh, we can do all the short circuit calculation you can do and it's not like one is like multiple scenarios i think last one was like 16 scenarios for for a data center uh, to be precise and then you do also load flow to have a idea if your voltage profile is all okay across the site sometimes it's on the assumed data but then you know you, you have to do this for example and then protection and also across calculations those are multiple um, scenarios of variance of work and if you if to do this you need to all uh, you need to make your model it's called like now digital twin but physically you create the model of your electrical installation in software of course because it's the easiest way now and to have this you need to have all the information about uh, the switch gears the breakers the cables the transformers uh, generators uh, and then you Typically, if you have this and the, all the protection settings, which, for example, are in place now, and then you collect all the all this information, so you have to ask for it. Let's say most of the time, 
if you have a new project and you have to precisely say, I need this, 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 and this. And then you can create the model and you have a model, then you have to you know, follow scope of work, of course, but uh, you need to have in, in, in mind that you are hired as a consultant because someone doesn't know what you are doing. So you have to guide your customers a bit uh, what they need. Yeah, definitely. It depends on the company, to be honest, that mm. you work with. So you, you're obviously dealing with a lot of large structures and, and build projects then? Well, not only. To be honest, not only it's like different sectors of work for the company. So one is when I when I actually help bigger companies, like big uh, consulting offices as well. So I'm kind of outsourcing. Yeah. I, I'm uh, so they are outsourcing to me uh, some of the work. Um, but this is just like the I think business to business uh, type of operation where they actually know very well what I have to do, just they don't have the people to handle it or sometimes knowledge but most of the time is very well uh, understood so like typically there is some someone like me on the other side and it's very easy for me then to discuss what I need what I have to do and they understand what I'm doing and what I have to provide in report and the results so it's, I would say it's easier uh, despite the technical level um, but also you might have very small projects uh, like very very small projects when you, for example, do Arclash or some consulting for electrical safety. And on the other side, you might not have the same amount of knowledge. So you have to, you know, explain it very easy. That's what I'm trying to learn to explain uh, electrical engineering in the easy way. Mm. Because you can imagine you might have a maintenance manager which actually is a mechanical guy. And uh, despite that he's responsible for everything, he might not have uh, engineering knowledge to all we talk about. So it's good to, you know, guide him a bit to explain, yeah, that's what you have to do. That's what we typically do. That's what might happen and so on. So that's what I try to do on the, like between the big and small projects. Yeah. That's, I think the difference. So you obviously mentioned there that you, you obviously deal with um, Arc Flash quite regularly. I'm going to ask some basic questions and it's probably an opportunity for you to um, educate me. Um, in terms of arc flash what is arc flash well the easiest way um, if if you if you know how the welder works that's pretty much the same the difference is uh, that welding is a control controllable process and in electrical installation when arc flash happens this is something which we cannot control uh, at least not in the easy way and that's the problem so technically it's ionized uh, uh, path which is creating between two conductors and then you can have a current flow between uh, because there is no conductor then current flow in air and because it flows in air it's very hot it's up to 19,400 degrees measured so far celsius which is a lot and this is a direct threat for your um, for your life and health so that's that's the problem behind our crash so what, where, where are the, I'm going to say the common situations where it would occur? Well, I would say there is no common situation. The common situation is the um, human uh, error. But not only, to be honest, but um, it's a very group, big group of things that you can do. So you might, you can, you can imagine that you might create the arc flash in your small panel board or in distribution board in big switch gear. Yeah, it depends really what you are doing on the high voltage cable 
which was the fine, uh, I think the one of the mo first fines in UK, so like 600,000 uh, pounds. Not say the name of the company, yeah, but, sure. <laughs> but generally speaking, uh, you might create the Akfash almost everywhere, but not everywhere it might be a problem for you. The biggest problem, I would say, if, if I might address, um, like for the uh, professional electricians that they work somewhere, the first problem is that uh, very often they have no idea what is the hazard. So there is no calculation, they, they don't feel it because you cannot really easily measure it, this thing. You have to calculate it because it depends on the voltage, current uh, and protection uh, time, plus also other 10 different coefficients like the enclosure size and, and, and cord, um, configurations of your bus bars. But generally speaking, if you calculate, if you have, a, if you've been on some site and you see the label, ACFASH label with all the data for you, which will tell you what is the incident energy, which is the energy what ACFASH will release during the time. So electrical arc will release during the time. Then you can match your uh, personal protective equipment. So let's say, generally speaking, clothes and uh, and things that you are using uh, when you work on electrical, uh, I don't know, equipment, which is live. And typically you will hear that we don't work live, yeah? Uh, yeah, it's good practice. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with education because uh, you don't you don't work live, you don't want to work live, that's, that's what happens. And that's across Europe and US, it's, uh, I would say, the same. But the problem is that to have, uh, let's say, uh, safe conditions on your panel, you need to de-energize it, you know, lock it, so lock a tag out most of the time, uh, maybe ground it, and, you know, and, and before you ground, you also have to measure uh, absence of voltage. And those few steps, they are going according to EN5010, but those few steps uh, are actually higher risk. And when you finish them, yes, then you can say we have uh, no voltage and we don't need any extra PPE, so we can work um, because we don't work live. But to get to the, uh, let's say, dead voltage, uh, dead working, you need to have your proper PPE because you will be at risk just when you physically measure something, for example. There are some hardware solutions for it uh, that you can overcome this, but let's say 95%, 99% of cases you will still measure uh, absence of voltage manually. And, and this is, let's say, higher risk situation. And there is a big list of it, what you can do and what you shouldn't do. But, but generally speaking, that's, that, that's in my feeling, that's the problem that people don't, like, you know, they cut the corners and they don't say, okay, and then we don't see the problem anymore. <laughs> and it still exists. So is it is it always human error then? Or can, I suppose, we can have, um electrical failures that cause it yeah yeah definitely so there was a movie recently uh, someone posted that during infrared scan or generally uh, i think electrical safety check they found uh, um, they actually found sparking uh, in the one of the drawers in mcc which was mm -hmm. generally actually in progress because the, the cable was burned because probably of the thermal uh, it was probably connection was not good. The cable was eventually burned, but it was very close to the uh, connector lag, and it was you know keep sparking, like the welder welding machine, and was keep sparking and uh, so which is called serious arc, which is very hard to detect. 
uh, in normal situations, unless you have maybe Arcfresh detection device uh, installed. But, but that was on something like 400M feeder. So once the spark will go to the other phase, you will have face-to-face -face fault, which would be not, for example, few amps, but like, I don't know, a few thousand amps, let's say, or maybe 20,000 amps or 40,000 amps, which will create like just big bang and explosion. And and yeah, so, and it was not really uh, directly related with any human error. And uh, at least there was a, this recording. So it might be, I would say, I think I always say like like 60, 70% is, um, of the Arctash events and electrocution or electric shock hazard events are uh, related with human error. It's somehow, but you might have a different human errors. I always, I always divide it into direct and indirect errors. So you can imagine that uh, direct errors is very straightforward. So if you take your screwdriver and hit the bus bar, yeah, that's uh, straightforward to understand who make mistake. Or uh, like uh, there was an accident, uh, I think a few years ago, but the, uh, this year there was a fine or the case uh, end up in court uh, in 2022, uh, also for the big company, but they were they were connecting generator uh, to the warehouse. One of the electrician hit with the keys because they were working live. He hit with a bunch of keys uh, into the bus bar or the cable connection and then create the arc. And then he was burned, hospitalized. And they, I think they were fined one, you know, one million pounds or something like this. It's a huge amount. So you can imagine that not everything is uh, straightforward uh, direct error because you might have indirects like uh, you don't have a safety work procedures. You don't have a proper tools and you might not be the person that is buying those. You don't have a PPE because you, you never been given a proper PPE and so on and so on. So those kind of indirect things that you have to work on high level in the companies. So it is other than I suppose PPE is always kind of a reactive response and I suppose procedurally is that the only way to stop it occurring? No, no, no. So um, generally speaking, there is uh, if we talk about the actors, we talk about the NFPA most of the time, which is National Fire Protection Association in US, which generates the standard, which is called NFPA 70E. This is the main one, which is a if you use a high level standard, there is a lot of references to uh, how to work safe, how to test things and so on. And there is other one which is called 70B, which is for the purely for maintenance of electrical, generally maintenance. And uh, I encourage people to read this because it's very useful. Despite it's it's for from US and so on, it's a very useful source of uh, information. Eventually there is no difference uh, how you die here or in US when you be electrocuted or uh, be exposed to ARCLASH. Mm. Yeah, art flash yeah, is art flash, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what was that? That was NFPA 70E or B? Yeah, 70E is the main for electrical and all the other things, art flash and electrical safety. And 70B is the other standard, uh, I think less known, but it's purely for the maintenance procedures. Very interesting one. A lot is of it... practical knowledge there. Obviously, we're, we're kind of, I suppose we're kind of really talking about, you know, high voltage, large switch gear um, and stuff like that. It's obviously something that's applicable to every installation type. Is it something domestic electricians and that should be worried about? Well, that, that's the thing. 
the problem is that uh, uh, someone said that like low voltage is not low risk. That's one thing. And it's good to remember this because we don't need a lot of uh, generally a lot of current to kill us. Like 10 milliamps is enough. And it's just good to remember that if you work above 50 volts, yeah, everything is a threat. So there is nothing like that. You work on 430 volts uh, or 400 volts and it's uh, fine. Unfortunately, no. And it's good to remember that we have to be protected all the times. When we talk about the Arclash, there is a limitation uh, for it, or limitation. Uh, they put the border from the after the test from 2018 that uh, typically in US they found out that at 208 volts, if you go below 2000 amp short circuit current level, it's very hard to sustain arc. So you can still create it, but you know the distance between the conductors or, or, or electrodes, generally speaking, is too high. So the current cannot flow through the air because you know the resistance of the air is too too big, generally speaking. So that that's the bottom threshold. But if you say 2,000 amp, uh, 208 volt, it's generally slightly less. Uh, it's not that that much, you know. <laughs> if you have 7,000 amp, which is typically or 16 uh, kA, uh, which is kind of sometimes domestic locations, which might be more than enough to create the arc. So we don't do it in the domestic installations, to be honest. There was no requirements uh, because there's a lot of installations and I think no one really wants to touch it yet. Um, but to be honest, I don't think there is a, a really need for, for doing this uh, most of the time. But most, uh, when we talk about Arcos, it's purely, uh, for a moment at least, we talk more about the industrial uh, installations or the commercial all of this, which typically they are much bigger than, you know, 16 amp connection or something. Like yes. Size. Yeah. I think it's just, it's very much a hot topic. Um, certainly yeah. with, with, uh, BS seven, six, seven, one, um, yeah, bring, yeah, you know, I know. <laughs> yeah, bringing in the arc, arc fault detection devices into the domestic setting. So, um, that, that was obviously the, the reason for questioning. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's been fascinating, um, chatting with you. Um, appreciate your time but I do have uh, one final question and, and that's what's your favourite movie uh, hard to say uh, I think it's the, the proper name for it would be uh, Guys in Tights Guys in <laughs> from <tights>. Mel Brooks <laughs> oh okay yeah, I'm yeah. All the, all in, in all the comedy movies to be honest that's a good choice. I think yeah, yeah. I've not I've not seen that it one. It is but funny. <laughs> I, I I do like Mel Brooks. I've seen him in in various other things, and he is yeah, a very funny individual. Yeah, yeah. You might look, but I don't know what's the name for it. Uh, there was a, a TV series. I have no idea who did this, but it's I, called uh, Crotman Dune and the uh, Burning. Uh, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna very quickly Google it. Um, Mel Brooks. I think it's not from Mel Brooks, this movie. The Krotman Do is... Uh... Are you on about uh, Robin Hood, Men in Tights? Yeah, yeah, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Ah, uh, yeah. okay, yeah, 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 Mel Brooks is... Yeah, um, it's definitely Mel... worth to see. <laughs> yeah, no, story. yeah, I, I do recall that now, yeah. I, yeah, I doubt if there is someone that haven't seen this yet. Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. Alive. No, brilliant. Um, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, uh, the same, Gary, and uh, thanks for inviting me to your podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening.